Good morning. Uh, before I begin, I want to take a moment and just thank you for uh, the week off you allowed my family and I to have last week. And uh, I take my uh, role here to serve you very seriously, and I am greatly appreciative of your generous support of my family for all these years, and that makes me doubly grateful for the week that you gave us. Uh, we were able to go to some dear friend's house in Palm Desert. It wasn't quite hot enough for us here, <laughs> and so we went there and just had a great time uh, reading, napping, eating, watching Monk Marathon, so... Um, I wanted to thank you for that. Also, I know when I'm gone, that requires other leaders in the church to take on a little extra responsibility, and so I want to thank those who did that, especially Brett Jensen, who came up and preached on Sunday. Um, I mean, how lucky are we, right? Like, you get him for free. Um, we're a blessed church, and while I'm in this attitude of gratitude, I want to thank uh, the many leaders who are starting uh, up again. Their small groups, their men's, women's Bible study. We have so many opportunities starting up this next week. And, um, you know, we have our small groups that are starting up. And uh, we're going to have, I think, 35 or more small groups that are either continuing or beginning this year or this week. So if you're not in a group, I want to encourage you to do that. We have six classes on Sunday, six groups on Sunday that meet during both services that give you a chance to connect in something smaller than this. Our goal and our hope and our desire, our request is that everyone is involved in one group smaller than this. You can be known, missed, invested in, and encouraged. We also have men's and women's Bible studies that are starting up next week as well. So again, that's just my last little plug for you. There's still time to connect with a group. You can get information on your bulletin. You can go out to the information center. You just use your comment card. Whatever way floats your boat the most, just go ahead and use that. But please prayerfully consider being a part of a group that meets throughout the week just so we can continue to be a part of your life. Uh, and if you're like, Brian, I'm already in a group, but I want to do more, we have a great opportunity for you next Wednesday. We're expecting hundreds of kids and youth to be on our campus Wednesday night, and we can certainly use some of your support and encouragement as well. So if you're thinking, Brian, I just have a lot of extra energy that I'd like to use on Wednesday nights with kids and youth, Pastor Ken would love to speak with you and talk with you. He'll be out in the courtyard as well. Or if you're savvy like this, you can just bring out your phone and either take a picture of me or you can scan that QR code and that'll take you to an information list as well. So now after all that, let's get to our sermon today. The last, uh, the last of our Sunday School Song Theology series. Um, while on vacation, I had a chance to read and I just like to read devotionals and sermons and things from old pastors who are long gone and into glory. I just think there's something special about the way old guys talked and old guys wrote. And I was reading one work, uh, reading one guy's sermon, and he shared a story. It went something like this. There's a legend of two princesses. There was one princess that uh, went through life unnoticed. She was unseen. However, everywhere she went, new life and new growth followed. 
You always knew that she was present in your town because every step she took, every footprint she left would be filled with daisies. A tree that was consumed by a forest fire would suddenly spring to life with vibrant branches and green foliage. Stagnant pools of water would certainly suddenly turn into bubbling brooks of life. Brown fields and hills would be filled with green grass and parched lands would be covered with roses. You knew she was present. Although you couldn't see her, you knew she was around because of the life she left behind. At the same time, the legend said there's another princess. She was beautiful on the outside. And everyone could see her and observe her beauty, but she was filled with poison. You see, she lived in a toxic culture. She ate no food. She drank no water. All she consumed was poison to the point that it permeated everything in her life. And so when she walked through the world, everything she stepped on would fade. If she grabbed a flower, it would wither and disintegrate. If she exhaled and there was anything living around her, it would suddenly turn pale and gray and drop dead to the ground. A pastor, after telling the story, he said this, he said, Christian, we are empowered much the same way. When we live, we're empowered to bring life to everything we touch or to spread the poison of your culture. Which life will you lead? I think that's a similar message that Jesus gave his disciples. I'd like to share it with you. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Gospel of Matthew is super easy to find. It's the first book of the New Testament. Flip around there. Matthew, chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me, let me give you a little bit of the context. This is earlier in Jesus' ministry but he was already attracting a crowd. But by Matthew chapter five, Jesus takes a, a unique step from other people in his culture and probably other people in ours. See, when Jesus was surrounded by the crowd, he decided to climb a mountain because he didn't want to speak to the crowd at this point. He wanted to speak to his people, his followers, his disciples. And so when Jesus climbed the mountain, his disciples followed, and surely some of the masses did too. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a sermon focused on the masses. It's a message focused on the people of Jesus, his followers, his disciples, those committed people who are wanting to devote their lives to him this is what we read. Jesus goes into, he begins this message giving characteristics of Jesus' life. Look at Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. He says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus all of a sudden begins giving characteristics to his people to live differently than everybody else. What is normal in culture shouldn't be normal in your life, Jesus says. These are the people who are blessed. These are the people who are fulfilled, who are content. And then look at how Jesus finished this first section. He said this, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things about you. Verse 12, and rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, Jesus in his message to his people seems to almost inform them that their life here will be challenging. Their life here will be a struggle, that there will be persecution, that people will insult them. It reminds me of a prayer that Jesus at the Gospel of John, the Apostle John records. Look at a portion of the prayer of Jesus. And near the end of his ministry in Gospel of John, he says, this is a prayer of Jesus. Right in the middle of it, he's praying to God the Father. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, talking about his disciples. He believe that he just said persecution's gonna come, they're gonna insult you and Jesus. He's talking to his father, it'd be great if he said, God, please take him out of here as soon as they knew who I am, raise him up. But Jesus says, no, I'm not asking you to take him out of the world. I want you to keep him from the evil one. I want you to leave him here, but protect him. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, also I have sent them into the world. Jesus says, hey, God, God, don't take them out. Leave them here. I don't want to be of the, in the world. I, just want to, I don't want to be of that. I just want to be in it. You ever wonder why God leaves us here? Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed, God, don't take them, leave them? Ever wonder what God expects from you in kooky California? Is it just to survive? Is it just to hug a tree and look up in the skies and say, come, Lord Jesus, quickly, come. What does God desire? Why did he leave you here That's what I think Jesus gets into next. You're here so you can have an influence, an impact on culture. Look at the text. See, right after Jesus gave this this interesting list of characteristics to his people, you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be different from them. You live life differently. Everything that they say is right, it's upside down for you. Why, why is that important? Look at verse 13, he says this, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt's become tasteless, how can it be salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
Therefore, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There's two illustrations Jesus uses to answer the question, God, why are we still here? What do you want from us in Kooky, California? What have you empowered us to do? And the first thing is found in 13. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. He looks at his disciples. This isn't for the crowds. This isn't for all the people. This is for his people, his followers, his disciples. You, that term you, plural. Not you as an individual, you as a collective you, each and every one of you. Man, when you want salt, you don't ask for the salt and take a grain and put it on there. You never notice it. But man, when you pour out salt and there's just hundreds of grains, it has an impact. Jesus says you, plural, all of you. And as the pronouns are set in the Greek, it means you and just you. There is no other salt in the earth. No one else has this opportunity. No one else has this responsibility. If you don't do it, no one will. You are the salt. You and you alone. If you pass the buck, no one will fill the space. You're the salt. You're it. Now let's talk about salt a minute. In Jesus' day, salt was extremely valuable. It was oftentimes used to pay Roman soldiers and pay others. That's where that phrase, you're not worth your salt. You ever wonder where that came from? You are not worth your salt. Roman soldiers, if you were a mediocre worker and you were paid in salt, the owner, the boss, the manager would say, you're not worth your wages. Salt was valuable. There's a saying in Rome that that there are two elements you needed for life, sunlight and salt. Salt was valuable. So some people say, maybe Jesus is telling his disciples, you're valuable. You are priceless. You are irreplaceable in culture. Other people say, no, 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 Brian, salt was also used as a preservative. Salt would be used to help dry the food and retard the decay. And so they would take it and they would rub it into salt or they would lay it on rocks where it would absorb the salt out of the rocks and their fish and their meat. They would dry it so they could use it over time. Salt has a healing property that retards decay. Some people say, well, maybe Maybe Jesus is telling his people, man, you're the salt. You're the preservative of culture. You're here to retard the decay. Man, you ever wonder about what culture would look like if there weren't any Christians? You ever think about what the world would look like if the Holy Spirit was not active and working in the lives of people? Man, that's what makes the last day so frightening. When Christians are gone and the Holy Spirit is removed, holy moly, You think California's kooky, now just wait. Maybe Jesus is telling his people, you're the preservative, you are here to retard decay. Other people say, no, 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 Brian, salt adds flavor. Salt is something that can actually be used to foster growth. Some people would use a little bit of salt to mix into their soil to help produce growth 
But here's the unique thing about salt. When, even though some people would put a little bit in the soil, you put a lot in the soil, it poison it and renders the soil ungrowable and it produces nothing. And so if you wanted to sabotage someone else's crop, all you would do is put a little salt. See, salt's like that, isn't it? Salt can retard decay. But if you have a paper cut and put a little salt in there, it hurts. So what's Jesus talking about? Is he calling this valuable? Preservative? Are we here to add flavor and growth? See, my perspective, all of it. See, Salt didn't just do one of those. He did all of those. Jesus looking at his disciples, each and every one of you, you're the salt. The salt. There's no other salt in this world. Jesus says, I'm giving that to you. I'm placing that burden, that responsibility, that empowerment on you. You're the salt. If you don't do it, no one else will. You are valuable. You are irreplaceable to your culture, to your community. Man, you have the ability to hold back decay, to retard the descent into darkness. You have this ability to add flavor and foster growth, but be careful because too much of you can kill it. You're the salt of the earth. Jesus goes on, big biblical but after that. He says, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And the debate has raged for hundreds of years since then. What is Jesus talking about? Some say Jesus is talking about in that time where salt wasn't always pure salt. It was mixed with gypsum. And then over time, a gypsum would, would render the salt tasteless. So it's a warning. Jesus says, don't allow culture to remove the saltiness from you. Others say, no, 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 Brian, that's not what it's talking about. Others say, Brian, oftentimes they didn't have salt from a salt shaker. They just didn't get that big old jug at the market and pour it on their food. It was stuck in rocks, and so over by the sea, they would take their meat and their fish, and they'd put it on rocks and allow the rocks to, or allow the meat to slowly absorb the salt out of the rock. But over time, the salt would dissolve and be gone, and all you'd be left with was rock. Rock's useless if it doesn't have salt. Others say, Brian, salt's a pure compound. It never becomes less salty. It's either salt or it's not salt. And Jesus using this as a message on his people, just like salt never loses its saltiness, nor you will ever lose your purpose. You're the salt of the earth. You never lose that position. You never lose that opportunity. To, regardless of the darkness of your culture, you'll always be salt. And people argue back and forth, back and forth, which is it? And here's my point. We spent so much time arguing about it, we missed the point. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. If you don't do it, no one will. Don't stop doing your job. 
Don't let them take it from you. Don't get bored of it. Don't lose what God has for you, regardless of what position you want to take on the text. Pick a Greek scholar and you can have your argument. What Jesus' message? You're the salt of the earth. Point one, then, Jesus says, have influence on your culture. Man, why did Jesus leave you here? It wasn't to gather together and just say, come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. You're the salt of the earth. You, collective, you have the ability to flavor, to foster growth, to be just like that first princess who walked through life. You may not be seen, but you can have influence. Everywhere you walk, you're the salt. The question then, how do we do that? Like, what's that look like in a culture like ours? I mean, how do we approach that? If we're going to have influence, is that a position of power? Should we just be a doormat? What does that look like? I want to give you a few verses, a few passages that might shed some light on it. Look at what Paul said in Romans 12. Paul wrote this to a group of Christians in the midst of their own kooky culture and challenging time. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Look at this. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Brian, how should we influence culture? Should we just bang them into submission? Well, the Apostle Paul seems to have a different opinion. Man, you're the salt of the earth. You're empowered with the very breath of God. You have the truth of the gospel. You know the end of the story. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, do it differently. You're the salt of the earth. Look how Peter says it. Apostle Peter said something similar to another group of people going through their own kooky culture. He says, to sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead for you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Look what he says in the next chapter, 1 Peter 4. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Is that how you view all of your words? As you type them on social media, as you share them with the opposing side, as you're interacting with your neighbor, as you're talking with your children, whoever speaks, do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Man, how often would we maybe not speak if we kept that truth in mind. Look at this. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things, look at that, all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. So can I ask you, how's your influence? 
How is your impact going? Do you recognize who you are? You are left here for a purpose, empowered by God to flavor culture, to retard decay. You are one of the most valuable resources that this community has. Do you understand who you are? And do you understand the empowerment that you've been given, but the responsibility that you have to do it in? Man, when you speak, speak in a way that you believe that you are giving the utterances of God. Behave in a way, serve in a way that you know you are empowered by God for that moment. Do everything, everything you do as an instrument of bringing God glory. You are the salt. Jesus looks at his people early on in his ministry. This isn't something Jesus made up over time. This is something he came to do. Empower you to be the salt. Are you behaving like salt, adding flavor, retarding decay, preserving truth? Or are you kind of like salt to where you didn't even know you had a paper cut until you ate some fries? All of a sudden, this pain shoots up and down your arm. Jesus isn't done, though. First, he says, you are the salt, but then he says this, verse 14, you are the light of the world. That you again, plural. You, you all are the light. You. No one else is going to be the light. There's no other options. Jesus doesn't give a plan B. You're it. I'm leaving you here because you're the salt. You're going to be left here because you're the light. You are the light. That term light used 72 times in the New Testament. The term light used to describe a large fire, a bright star, something with a brilliant and bright quality. And look at some interesting ways that the term light is used. Jesus uses it to describe himself, John 8, 12. It says, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Jesus came and says, I, I am the light. Next chapter, look what he says, John 9, 5. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I am it. A few chapters later, Jesus says some interesting, John 12, while you have the light, believe in the light. So that what? You see that? So that you might become sons of light. He says, hey, come around me, absorb everything you can, because at some point, you're it. You're the light. Look at what Paul says, Ephesians 5. For you were formerly darkness, Man, you're just like kooky California. But now, huge biblical butt right there. But now you are, look at this, light in the world. Walk as children of light. Man, Jesus came and said, listen, there's a quality I came, a purpose I came to accomplish. Man, light is powerful, isn't it? Light is something that can illuminate a path in the dark. 
Light brings comfort, doesn't it? Man, when I walk these halls at night, turning off lights and locking the doors, it's one of the scariest places to be. But all it takes is one little switch. Because in the darkness, we fear what we don't see, but in the light, everything comes clear. And you're the light of the world. You're here to illuminate the path. You're here to bring comfort and peace so that everyone can know what's going on. You are the light. I want to pause and think about that for a minute. The very thing that Jesus came to do, to be the light of the world, he passed on to you. This isn't just some fancy illustration. Jesus has given his people a purpose in life and clearly communicated, you need to live differently. The way the world does it is backwards. You're going to live in a world where you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be insulted. And Jesus says, okay, they persecuted me. They persecuted everyone before you. But I'm keeping you here because you are the salt. You are the light. The very thing Jesus came to accomplish in his culture, he then left to you. Don't lose the power and the purpose of that. Jesus goes on. So the city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Do what you're supposed to do. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. No one lights a lamp and draws all the blinds. Man, light is there to be used and influence and impact those around it. He says, if you're walking this earth as a believer, as a follower of Christ, and you are not light, you are not light, you are not finishing your job. So what's that look like? How do we do it? Like, what does Jesus want us to do? What does Jesus want his disciples back then to do? How do they do it? And what is Jesus, what hope, what help, what direction does he give us? Look at verse 16 then. He says this, let your light shine before men. Let your light shine. Let it happen. Start allowing the power of God that exists within your heart to shine through. Stop squelching the power of God in your life. Stop holding back out of fear of persecution, out of worry about insult, out of concern that they're not going to agree with you. You're the salt. You're the light. It is something that God has put into you. It is something that Jesus has given you. It is something that God has empowered you to do, filled you with his Holy Spirit for the purpose of you are the light, let it out. But again, let it out with the mindset of what Peter and Paul gave us. The characteristics that Jesus shared right before, blessed are the meek, the gentle, Man, let it out doesn't mean just toast them with your light. As we're walking through this morning, we had to even turn down some of these. There's such a thing as too much light, isn't there? It could be blinding, disorienting. Man, you are the light of the world. Do your job. 
Fulfill your purpose. You're empowered for it. Let the light of God shine through your life. That's our second point. Reflect Jesus in life. Number one, have influence on culture. Man, you are here for a reason, folks. You're not in kooky California to just hide away. You're here to be salt. And you're here to be light. To illuminate the path. To clear up misconceptions. Let your light shine. Let God do it. Look what he says. Let your light shine before men in such a way. Man, how do we do that, Brian? How do we do that? Two ways. Number one, look at what he says. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. A phrase, good works, your excellent deeds, your activity that far surpasses the activity of others, your lifestyle that's better than average. Good enough is not good enough for you. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You can't just use culture as the baseline. You're a reflection of who Jesus is. Let your good works shine before men. Focus on how you live your life day in and day out. Man, this isn't live your life focusing on good works for the purpose of salvation. It's living and focusing on good works because of your salvation. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Live in such a way, let your light shine in such a way that they will see your good works. Look at how Peter said it, 1 Peter 3. So sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. He continues, says, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made a life in the spirit. Peter says, live your life in such a way that people ask you. Why are you doing that? How are you doing that? Man, build your home in such a way that your house, your marriage, your children, how you do life is a reflection of the Lord and people ask you, how are you doing that? People comment all the time, how great my boys are. How'd you do it? Two people I tell them about, my wife and my savior. Two people. Man, you think my boys are doing a great job? I don't think it's me. I think it's my wife and the power of God at work in their life. Man, live your life in such a way your house is a beacon of God's glory. Do your job. Own your business. Volunteer in your community. Lead in your school in such a way that people see the glory of God in the midst of it. Look what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. 
and you want to do politics, fine. But do it different than everybody else. You're the light of the world. You want to own a business? You want to be involved in finance? You want to be a mega billionaire? Fantastic, but do it different than everybody else. You're the salt. You're the light of the world. That truth needs to flavor every aspect of our life. You are not here to own the world. You are not here to control the world. You are here to flavor the world, to preserve the world, to reflect Christ to the world. You are the salt you are the light. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and, look at this, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That term glorify means to praise, honor, respond to God. The same direction Jesus gave his disciples at the end of Matthew. At the beginning of Matthew, he says, you're the light of the world. Look what he says at the end, Matthew 28. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go on, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. At the very beginning, Jesus empowered them. You're the salt. You're the light. At the very end, he did the same. Go do it. Make disciples, influence culture, change the world. Romans 10, Paul said something similar then. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Man, there's, there's more than just letting your life reflect Christ, your words need to proclaim Christ as well. Being the light of the world does more than just give people good things. It's teaching people the things of God. And I know you might be saying, Brian, I just don't know how to do it. Most Christians, one of the most fearful things, most people, one of the most fearful things is public speaking. For Christians, one of the most frightening things, sharing their faith. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Live in such a way that they not only recognize your difference, but they glorify your Father in heaven as a result of it. Man, how do they know who to glorify unless you tell them? I want to encourage you again, one person, one person you can share Jesus with. One person. It can just be what Jesus has done in your life. Brian, I don't know if I have all the theology great. Me neither. Reflect what you know about who Jesus is. Brian, I wouldn't know how to start. That's why we have these Bibles available. These Bibles are at the information center. They're at the little welcome carts in the lobby. These are New Testaments, and on the front cover, they have great questions for you to just start a conversation. Great questions for you to go through. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? To you, who is Jesus? Do you believe there is a heaven and a hell? If you died right now, where would you go? Just have conversations, interact. I would recommend, if you haven't shared your faith before, don't start with a stranger. Start with a friend. Someone you've done coffee with. You've whined about the school district. You've worried about the Clippers and the Lakers. 
You've been excited about football. Those people that you know don't know Jesus, but they know everything else about your life. Have a conversation. These are available for you. These are free. Gives you Bible verses to go through. Questions to ask. And th- this is a resource for you. By the way, I didn't make this up. This is from a guy named Bill Fay, another old guy. I think there's a lot of benefit in learning things from old guys. You're welcome, Ronnie. (laughs) And applying in life today. If you don't know how to share your faith, but you're open to it, grab one of these Bibles. Walk through the front cover with a friend. Help them see the glory of God. And I know some of you might be saying, Brian, I I just don't know what one my life, what, what my one life can do. And that's, I think, one of the most powerful part of this passage. It's not about you and you alone. It's about all of you. See, one light maybe can be seen in the dark. Hundreds of light, hundreds of lights have an impact. So we took an opportunity to buy a bunch of these to illustrate a point. If you have your light, turn it on and let it shine. Yeah, I need, I'll take this when I go down the hallways. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> I want you to take a minute and look at the impact hundreds of lights can have. See, this truth, this power, this what you see is the foundation of our next song. The last song of the Sunday School Song series, one of my favorite, this little light of mine. I don't know if you know the history 1920, most people believe it was written by a man named Harry Dixon. It was written for children to remind them of the impact and opportunity they have to shine their light to be a reflection of Jesus to the world. This song instantly caught fire and it was spread throughout the nation and people were singing it in churches across the land and then it came time for the civil rights movement. There's a lady named Betty Mae Fikes who used this song as a reminder for truth amongst the midst of civil rights, saying, don't let them squelch your light. Don't let persecution, don't let insult squelch your purpose in life. Betty Mae Dixon used this same song as an encouragement to people to be an influence for right and truth in their culture. So this song can be used for two different ways. Number one is an encouragement to you. Get in the game. One person that you can influence in the light of Christ. See, all of us don't need to fix. Each one of us doesn't need to fix everything. But if each one of us fixed one thing, it would have a cataclysmic impact. Some of you may say, Brian, I've tried it. And it hurt. It was costly. It was painful. And Betty Mae Dixon's message for you is, Don't let pain, don't let culture, don't let darkness cover your light. Be who Jesus has called you to be. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If no one else, if you don't do it, no one else will. It's up to you. Will you stand and sing this final song with us?